I'd like to just go ahead and uh, speak a word of prayer here. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, just thank you for this time, Lord, that uh, we're just in a place in, in time and history and in the country that we just are openly able to gather in your name, Lord. We, we have brothers and sisters uh, throughout the world who aren't even allowed to do this, Father. So this is a, a true blessing and honor. God, I pray that your, your spirit would just come upon us today, Lord, that whatever, uh, whatever that you would have any of us learn from your word today, Father, that um, your spirit would guide us and correct us and humble us and discipline us, Lord. I pray that uh, today it's your words and not mine, Father. Uh, speak through this empty vessel. In your son's name, amen. All right, so it's Father's Day. If you're a father, go ahead and stand up. I think you deserve a round of applause. Nice job. It's a big deal. Congratulations, guys. You've made it this far. I like to tell my wife every anniversary when we're married that, all right, so this year it'll be five years. Am I right? Five years down, life to go. I'm terrible at jokes. All right, just get, get used to it. You got about an hour left. All right, um, I did have a, a joke about a piece of paper, but it was terrible, so I decided not to say it. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's get away from the jokes, although I'm gonna sprinkle them if I can. All right, so hey, oh, it's Father's Day. Um, we kind of live in a culture that uh, it's kind of against masculinity right now, and um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's difficult to be proud to be a man and proud to be a father and um, generations of, of, of children growing up without men in the home. Um, so, I mean, this is a, a celebration of manhood. It's nothing to be ashamed of. And so this, this is a big deal, and I wanna, I'm going to talk more about that as the, as the day goes on here or as the message goes on. I just want to spit off a, a bunch of facts about male babies. Um, not that they're cooler or anything, but... Uh, more male babies are born or actually conceived than female babies. However, uh, those male babies don't make it to term or die uh, mostly before um, the female babies are born. Uh, so male babies are most likely to be born preterm. Uh, pre Mothers expecting boys are most likely to suffer from preeclampsia, high blood pressure, or gestational diabetes. Uh, many more boys are conceived than girls. However, boys are more likely to die before the females in all areas of life from conception to old age. Most miscarriages are stillborns uh, that are, are, are male, that are stillborns are male. Male babies are more likely to die or suffer from major illnesses, which is caused from the fact of them being preterm. Uh, in Australia, 75% of SIDS 54% of cancer and 60% of infant deaths from disabilities resulting from preterm birth are male, and uh, C-sections are 20% more common in males. Um, so now that we've gotten out of the, 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 the facts of the babies, let's just go into a child being raised inside of a, a family without a father figure or it's a fatherless home. Okay, so these figures are 63% of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. That's five times the average. 90% of homelessness and runaway children, fatherless homes, 32 times the average. 85% of children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. That's 20 times the average. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. That's 14 times the average. 71% of high school dropouts, fatherless homes, that's nine times the average. 75% of adolescent uh, patients and chemical abuse centers are uh, coming from fatherless homes, that's 10 times the average. 70% of youths in state-operated institutions, nine times the average. And 85% of youths in prison come from fatherless homes, which is 20 times the average. So in a society that says it's not good to be proud of your masculinity, it seems like um, we're missing something in our society from these figures. And so an absent father causes a lot of issues inside of a home. And when it comes to being a father, you can be absent but still be present as well. And so we're, I'm going to talk about some of that between uh, four different individuals throughout Scripture today. 
but it's the idea that since the very beginning in the garden, Adam and Eve, they sinned, Christ, God says that uh, uh, the blessing and the salvation from the, the consequences of your sin is going to come through your seed. So it seems like from that point on, Satan has, has had a plan to take down men in general. The man is um, the center point of the, of the home, of the family. The most uh, simplistic, broken down form of government is what takes place in a household. Mom, dad, children, smallest form of government. All governments stem from what happens in a family, okay? And so from that, from that beginning, you can see throughout Scripture, you can see throughout um, the statistics I just read to you that if Satan can attack males even before they come out of the womb or if by just taking the father out of the picture, he gets, if he gets the whole family for the price of one. If dad's gone, it crumbles. Not to say that there's not the one-off. I'm, I'm, I'm living by the, the rule here, not the exception. Okay, so there are the exceptions of, of, single, of single parents and having a blessed and amazing lives. But the rule of thumb is that if the father's gone, we have massive downfalls following. Okay, so it's important to be present in your ch children's life. If, if, if scripturally speaking, biblically speaking, you can look out throughout history how Satan attacked attacked men, uh, Pharaoh trying to kill all the newborn sons because of Moses. Um, you, you, you study throughout the scripture of, of Satan's continuous attempts of genocide of the entire Jewish race. He's, he's, he's gone after even trying to kill um, Jesus himself as an infant uh, through Herod. So there's always examples of Satan going after the man. Um, let me see here. So I love being a father. I'm only a one-time father. Uh, I got Eliana. She's two. She's a handful. Oh, she's a handful. Um, <laughs> the other day, Angela was telling me a story. We just got her off of the whole, like, I want to watch a movie 12 times in a day cycle. Um, so we just started, like, flipping through different movies, and we came across Shrek, and we got her interested in it because of, there's a donkey. Uh, so watch the donkey, don't watch Shrek. And so she enjoyed it. So she woke up the other morning and uh, don donkey, donkey, Shrek, donkey, Jesus. Uh, so we're pretty sure that she thinks that donkey and Shrek were at the, at the birth of Christ because she's been reading a, a Christmas book about that as well and thinks one of the wise men is Santa. So it's, it's all kind of getting blended. So I'm failing there. So sorry about that. Um, she's also, you know, we're, we're, we're learning about temp temper tantrums. She loves her swing because it's her swing. Nobody else can get on that swing, touch that swing. Uh, we have uh, a niece who is quite a bit older than her, but uh, if, if, if Cousin Olive gets anywhere near that swing, we're going to have a little meltdown. Uh, we have a new friend. Her name's Emerson. She's got a slide at her home in the basement, and Emerson better not even touch her own slide. So um, learning how to manipulate and then figure our way through that, like... Why does she melt down when someone tries to climb up a slide when she's clearly not on it? Uh, it's, it's been a fun ride, and I'm sure all you parents out there who have teenagers are, are happy to be out of the twos and threes, but hey, welcome to teens, and that's off, it's another awful story in all of itself. Um, just kidding. Uh, I, love, I love the teens here. Um, and then I've also noticed a, a horrific trend in my daughter is that she likes to start copying the things that her mother and I do. Uh, so <laughs> I yell at the dog. His name's Luke, and uh, man, he's a, he's a little tyrant all of him on his own, but um, I, I caught myself yelling at, at Luke, and I've noticed that now Eliana can't even speak to Luke without having like a berating, screaming voice, even if she's trying to say, come here, Luke, it's come here, Luke, because she thinks that how you talk to the dog is you scream at it, so uh, Learning lessons, right? I've, I've imprinted on her some, some bad things. So I'm trying to correct that. So every time she, she screams at the dog, I pick her up. I'm like, we don't have to yell at him every time. Let's go pet him. But, all right, so that's, that's me as a father. I'm struggling. But hey, I'm here because I'm struggling. Amen? All right. So I uh, got one more little story, and then we'll jump into Scripture. And so this is going to be a, a worldly example of why it is important as you as a man to be the spiritual influence, the spiritual head, the spiritual anchor 
of your family. Um, and I'm just going to read this. It's an article recently. The, po- the Pope was in the news, and I'm, I'm sure some of you guys have read this, but um, this is a boy who's speaking. His name's Emmanuel, and Emmanuel's father was an atheist. Uh, is dad in heaven? The boy asked the Pope. A boy that inherited the strength of his father also had the courage to cry in front of all of us, the Pope said. If this man was able to create a child like this, it is true that he was a good man. That man did not have the gift of faith, wasn't a believer, but he had his children baptized. He had a good heart, Francis said. The Pope said that God decides who goes to heaven and that God has the heart of a father. He asked the young girls and boys in the audience if they thought that God would abandon a father like Emmanuel's who did such a good thing. No, the children shouted back at the Pope. There you have it, Emmanuel. That is the answer. The Pope said, according to a translation provided by the Catholic News Service, God surely was proud of your father because it is easier for a believer to baptize his children uh, than for a non-believer to do so. Surely this pleased God very much. Just do good and we'll find a, a meeting point, the Pope said to that sermon. If, first and foremost, I've, I hurt for the child because he lost his father, but I hurt for the child because he's going to live the rest of his life based on a lie that he was just told by the Pope. And he's going to go off trying to be a good person and not going out and trying to find Christ. And it's, it breaks my heart. And the, what I'm trying to get across in this, in this little article that I'm reading is that if you are not the spiritual leader in your family and you are not the one speaking truth to your children, they will turn to the world and the world is very good at making disciples. And a lot of the time, the world is more enticing than where you're at today. And so it's very difficult to come back. So hold on to your kids. Speak truth to your kids. Know the Bible. I tell your kids every Wednesday when they come to my house, I pick it up. Do you guys know this? There's people out there who don't believe it, who know it better than you. Know your Bible. Know truth. This book will keep you from sin. Sin will keep you from this book. How many one-liners can I throw at you real quick that I'm trying to give to your kids? What else do I got? I'm brain farting all over right now. Sorry. <laughs> all right. So um, where we're going to be at in the Bible today, and first, before we get started, I want to thank Pastor Bray. This is a big deal for him to, from the, for you who know me personally, this is a big deal for Bray to, to trust me to stand up here. So it's, it's, a, it's an honor. It's a blessing. Last time I spoke up here, I talked uh, for about 15 minutes about my testimony, and I, and I don't know if you guys remember, but I, I told you to find joy in suffering. That was a fun message, yeah? Nobody wants to do that. Nine, within nine days after uh, speaking to you guys about that, two ER visits, two surgeries, and $33,000 later, God was asking me if I was having joy. Uh, so God was actually correcting part of me. If part of my testimony is I used to bow down to my bank account, God was reminding me, I can evaporate your God like that. Come back to me. So it was a correction, but uh, I'm going to choose my words a little bit more carefully this go around. <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, this is the word of God. You are at church. If you're new, if if you're a first time guest here, we we preach from the Bible. We believe that this is the inherent word of God. Whole thing. We believe it wholeheartedly. Um, so we're going to spend our time in it. If you do not have a Bible, um, we have several out on a table out there. I highly encourage you guys to flip around through it with me. Read it for yourselves. I want you to see what I'm saying. I want you to know what we're reading. Um, we're going to be spending time today in the 13th chapter of 2 Samuel. So 2 Samuel chapter 13. I'll give you a couple of seconds to flip through there. Um, let me see here. So while you're flipping there, why it's important uh, to know truth. I just want to give a quick story about myself and then we'll read through this scripture. So um, the, the, our society is dying for truth, literally. It, they say that you can live, I don't know, like 40 some odd, 50 some odd days without food a handful of days without water, seven to 15 minutes without oxygen, and you can't live a single second without hope. And so if you look through our society with the amount of suicides that are going on um, and, and the amount of like people just starving for truth and seeing that there is no hope, yeah, it's just, there's a lot of despair. 
Um, on top of that, society is also looking for authenticity. And, and just a little bit about myself, I was at a business meeting uh, back in November in, in uh, San Antonio, um, Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I was sitting at a bar in the, in the hotel lobby, um, and I was, I was down there, uh, and this guy was sitting next to me, and he started, we started chatting, and, and it, the conversation went personal, and he was telling me about his father, and then he was asking what I do, and I was explaining, you know, I'm, a, and I'm an insurance adjuster, that's why I'm in town, but, I, you know, I'm also a youth pastor because I've been speaking with Brady Rogers on how to, like, get the scripture out and start my evangelism life and, like, how to do this. And this guy is like, you're a pastor and you're sitting at a bar? Like, what are you doing? And you're like, ah, well, yeah, good question. And in that moment, I just, God was just like, uh, just be real with the guy. Tell him why you're down here. I was like, okay, man, uh, I'm here because um, I grew up in a household where my dad didn't control the type of stuff that went through his home. And I got addicted to pornography at a young age. And I'm not in the city, the same city as my wife. She's not with me tonight, and uh, it's the possibility of the temptation of me doing whatever I want in my hotel room is too much for me. So I'm down here sitting at the bar talking to you. Um, and he couldn't believe that I said that to him. As in like, no, like I've never talked to uh, a pastor or a spiritual individual who was so honest. And that led to me like praying for him, praying for his father, um, didn't lead him to Christ or anything, but it was the idea that he was looking for authenticity and truth in the moment, and uh, it allowed me to share the word with him. Um, so you, the world is starving for it, guys. Your, your kids are starving for it. I was too old in life when I realized that I'd lived my life as a lie. I was 20, 23 years old, 22, 23 years old, um, I was sharing this with your, with, your, with your kids, so I'll share it with you because I'm brutally honest with them because I truly believe in it, is that uh, we, I was, we were reading 1 John 3, 18 to them, and it says, Dear children, let us not love with words and speech, but in action and truth. And it's easy to sit here and say, I'm telling you the truth, but do my actions show truth? And like, how do you like get your, like, what does it mean to do truthful actions? I mean, you've ever sat around and done that? Like, I'm raking the yard. This happens to be true because I'm raking the yard. Like, you have to, like, sit around and think about that. And I was telling the youth here is that I was living my life as a lie because everything I did in my life was the result of, does it answer this question favorably for me? Will this make a woman want to sleep with me? Will, un will knowing and memorizing all 500 different type of Pokemon cards make that girl want to sleep with me? Will working out make her want to sleep with me? Will having a, like a high-paid job, certain diets, everything I was doing was, is that the, is that, will that make an individual want to sleep with me? I was 23 years old when I realized I built my entire life around that. Okay, so that's, that's what that means to say, to do your actions in truth as well. Because I can sit here and tell you I love you all day, but if that's just my words, the actions behind it are, am I trying to get my own thing out of it? Okay, so the world's starving for truth, guys. Um, so uh, let's start with, uh, we're, in, we're in the 13th chapter of 2 Samuel. And, and to get this going, I want to kind of show you how we have a ladder uh, of how things happen to us uh, in our families. So we're going to talk about passive fathers. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the perfect examples of three passive fathers throughout Scripture. Abraham, um, if you don't know the story of Abraham, really quickly, Abraham is old. Uh, God is trying to tell him that you're going to be the father of many nations, but Abraham doesn't have any kids. Isaac comes along and uh, uh, Abraham is now is like, yes, I actually have a physical representation of the promise that God is going to give me. And everyone's like, if, if, we've, if we talk about Abraham, we're always talking about Abraham sacrificing Isaac as like, this is God testing Abraham's faith, correct? Is that kind of what the story we're getting out of it? I look at that story, not to say that that's not what's going on. I see that as, okay, Abraham, God talking to Abraham, I gave you this son because I'm trying to fulfill a promise that I, get, that I told you. However, you have now made your son God, 
and you put your son on the throne of your life, I will have nobody on the throne, on my throne. I'm going to kill your idol. Take your idol to the mountain and get rid of it. Okay, so there's good evidence to, to believe and to state that Isaac wasn't your five to six-year-old kid like we see in all the videos. Abraham's over 100 years old. Um, when Sarah died, the, the math works out that he was, Isaac was somewhere around 36 or 37 years old. Um, so it's, it's believed between almost all scholars that uh, Isaac was at least 18 or older. So at 18 years old, I, I, he's not here today, and he might have argued it. I could beat my dad up. <laughs> That's just the reality of it, okay? I'm 30 years old today. Uh, I know I can take him now. He's got health issues. Now, he, and he's not 100, okay? Who had more faith in that situation when Abraham is like, Isaac, get on the pile. You know what's about to happen. You've done this 100 times with me. Something's got to burn. Who's got more faith? Because Isaac can just be like, yeah, ain't gonna happen, pops. Come on, put, you put me on it, okay? It's the, it's the idea that Isaac has the faith, understanding that my dad has told me my entire life the lineage comes through me, and I believe it. So I'll, I'll lay down willingly. And the reason I love scripture is if you study it, is that all of the authors, 66 books, 40 authors, they all say the same thing written over 1,600 years. Same thing. I'll lay down on the altar. On, on the altar. When Paul's writing in the New Testament, Paul says, you are a living sacrifice. Your life needs to be a living sacrifice. It all blends together. It all makes sense. And I'll, and I'll put that together later in this message. But Isaac has the faith to lay down, Okay. So Abraham's a passive father. He, he, he praises his son growing up. Abraham also has two wives, um, which is not something that we, uh, the Bible teaches. It's a sin. If you look at that, it wreaks havoc even to this day in the Middle East. Um, Isaac struggles with his own kids. He's extremely passive. You, we know the story of Esau and Jacob and that, and that whole mess. And Isaac's favorite son, or uh, Esau is uh, Isaac's favorite son. And Jacob is Rachel's favorite son. And it's just a mess. And, 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 and Isaac just sits back and lets it happen. Uh, there's nothing in scripture that says that Isaac couldn't take the blessing back from Jacob. Esau's a puddle on the floor in front of his father, just crying like, bless me. And Isaac just curses him. I mean, there's so many things wrong with just the, the passivity in that situation. And then you go to Jacob and everything that uh, Justin Tyler was talking about last night with, with, uh, with how Jacob was um, struggling with, you know, his name is Deceiver. Okay, so we have all, we have all these issues and it's, it's passed down from father to father to father, from father to son, father to son. And then you can examine your own life to see what has my father passed down to me? Well, there's things that, you know, my father was an addict. I've struggled with al uh, alcohol addiction. I've struggled with drug addiction. I've struggled with sex addiction. I've struggled with pornography. And I can point back to a time and place for every single one of them in which it happened under my father's household. My mom and dad got divorced when I was two. Um, and I can just, I can pinpoint every single one of them back to a point in which um, my father just let it, and he knew it. And he just let it happen. Okay, um, so now that those are passive fathers, and so I have this little note written down here. To the, to, uh, the degree to which you were spoiled as a child is the degree to which you were spoiled as a child. Okay, Isaac, Isaac was raised as a god, and so he was put on the altar. The problem with a living sacrifice is that they tend to get up off the altar and walk away, okay? And so your life is supposed to be a living sacrifice. God calls you to come and lay down on my altar. Christ called you to pick up your cross and follow me. What that means is lay your life down for mine, okay? Scripture, all throughout scripture, it is not about you, no matter how many times Facebook says it, okay? Your life is not about you. Um, all right, so uh, permissive fathers is where we're going to end up in Scripture today. David is a perfect example of a permissive father. I'm going to read through some of this Scripture here, and then I'm going to stop and talk about some of it, and uh, we're just going to keep moving on. 
so the title of this is Amnon and uh, Tamar. Um, all right, so in the course of time, this is chapter 13, verse 1, Abnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. So we, we kind of got uh, some things going on here. David has two sons, most likely from different wives. Uh, you know, something that's, uh, that God did not want. So Tamar and Abnon are going to be half-siblings. They come from the same father, but not the same mother. Abnon became obsessed with his sister Tamar, that he made, him, uh, he made himself ill. Okay, so uh, I have the word obsessed highlighted and the word ill highlighted. This is clearly not something that is good. Okay, uh, especially since the fact that it's his sister. And I'm just like, ugh, you know, ugh. Ugh, all right, anyway. Uh, she was a virgin and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Ugh, all right. Now, Amnon was an advi- or had an advisor named Jonadab, uh, son of Shimei, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, why do, you, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said, I'm in love with Tamar, my, uh, my brother Amnon's sister. Go to bed and pretend you're ill, Jonadab said. I want to stop right here. If, if you're in high school, if you're alive in this room, you don't get to choose your family, but you get to choose your friends, okay? If you're in an awful relationship with a friend or with uh, someone that you're in a relationship with and probably shouldn't be in a relationship with, you can end that. It's okay to walk away. Um, Proverbs 1, 10 through 19 explains why you shouldn't hang out with shrewd individuals. And if you go back and look at, if you go back and look, they they describe Jonadab here in this as a very shrewd man. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 10 through 19. Your friends will end up getting you killed is basically the, how that ends. Okay? So if you're in high school, make good decisions. Find good friends. They're going to influence you the rest of your life. If you're 70 years old, you know that. If you're 20 years old, you know that. Choose wisely, okay? All right. Uh, Jonah Depp said, when your, father comes, when your father comes to see you, say to him, uh, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat from her hand. Anybody know anything about uh, the story of David? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll say the, the, the story of David and Bathsheba. And you, and does, when, you read this, when you read this sentence, it says, let her prepare food in my sight. What did David struggle with? Someone throw it out. Lust, right? If you turn over, if you turn over to chapter 11, it's titled David and Bathsheba. It says in verse 2, from the roof he saw her. He was stuck right there. James talks about being enticed and drug away by your own desires. God never tempts you, ever. But you have something inside of you that wants something, and that's what entices you and snags you. It appears in this situation, David has kind of handed the baton off of this sin to his, his kids. And it's not just an issue with Abnon. Solomon's also the son of David, and Solomon had 300 concubines and 700 wives. And if you don't know what a concubine is, in today's generation, it's just it's like your side chick, okay? To the teenagers here, thousand women. I have a hard time getting the emotion straight of my wife, and I love her. 999 more couldn't do it. All right. Anyway, so. Be careful with what you let in your house because just as Eliana yells at my dog, she can pick up something from me that I struggle with, that I don't want her to struggle with. And God is calling you today to obey me. Fix it. Don't let this sin conquer you. Don't let this sin control you. Okay? So obviously, um, David has handed this sin off because it doesn't just say in my sight one time. 
So Amnon laid down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make uh, special bread in my sight so I may eat it from her. David sent word to Tamar at the palace. Go to the house of your brother Amnon, prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying in bed. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight, and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, and he refused to eat it. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left. Then Amnon told Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat eat it from your hand. And Tamar took the food she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. <clears throat> but he took it, or let's see, but she, when she took it to him, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Do not do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools of Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with intense, and with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had ever loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you've already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called in his personal servants and said, get this woman out of my sight. So it's no longer, it's no longer Tamar. It's no longer his sister. It's this woman. You can do an entire sermon on the, the issues with promiscuous sex just from that verse. And, and what it does and how it wreaks havoc in your life and the life of the people around you. But what I want to focus on is that we worship a great and mighty God and, the, and a God that wants to know you on such a personal, personal level. So personal, in fact, that he came down here and experienced everything that you could possibly ever experience yourself. And I, didn't, I wasn't even going to talk about this. This is just coming to me right now, so I'm going to go with what the Spirit is saying. And so it says right here, he raped her. And I don't know if anyone in this room has ever experienced that, male or female, if, if you've been violated in such a way from a family member, from a friend, from a loved one, from a boyfriend. You have a God who knows what you're going through. Okay, Jesus was attacked by those he created and loved in the womb, spit in his face, beat him to the point that he died. On a hill he created, we sing that song every, every now and then, we sing that song, and he was stretched out on a cross to be viewed by all of creation. And to his great shame, almost naked and, and molested in front of his entire creation, he knows you. He understands you and he's been there. Okay, you're loved. If, that's, if you're struggling with anything like that, come to a, a church leader here if you need prayer. But you have a God who wants a personal relationship with you because he knows what you've been through and he can heal you. Okay. Um, so so Am, Amnon hated her more than he had ever loved her. Anyone ever experienced that before? You want something, and then when you have it, you're like, oh, this is it. It's like sin offers way more than it can give. Um, it's it's kind of like the idea, and I've said this before, I want, I want, I want, I've ha- I have, I had, I hate. And so it's like, you, I want an Xbox One, you know, and I think about it for four months and buy one, and I play three games, and it's, I've owned it for four years. Yeah, whatever. Okay, how much havoc has come into your life because of the things that you want? Okay, and fathers, your, your kids see that. It's very important that you get this under control. And that We say it every day here at church, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on, it, on earth as it is in heaven. 
thy will. Very important. If you're not seeing spiritual growth in your life, if you're not seeing God answer your prayers, Jesus laid it out for us right there in plain sight. It's thy will, Father, not my will, not what I want. If your heart isn't aligned with God and you're not seeing prayers being answered, it's because it's God's will. And if you want to know what God's will is, God's will is God's word. That's why I encourage you and your in your youth, know this front and backwards. God wants to give you the desires of your heart. He just wants the desires of your heart to be his. Okay? <clears throat> um, let me see here. So he refused, so get, uh, get this woman out of my sight. I'm gonna jump down to verse 20. Um, her brother Absalom uh, said to her, because uh, he saw Tamar come out, um, has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? And it's almost, uh, it's almost like if you look at the story, everyone had to have known this. You're, you're a royal child. Everyone lives in proximity to one another. Every, there's, just as there's gossip today, there was gossip back then. Everybody knew Amnon's desires for Tamar. And as soon as someone saw her distress, they knew what happened. They knew it. He, Amnon, I'm sorry, uh, Absalom knew it. David knew it. All the servants knew it because servants threw her out. Everybody knew what was about to happen, okay? The problem with everyone knowing is that, let me see here, it says in verse 20, when King David heard all of this, he was furious. What does it say King David do, did? When King David heard of this, he was furious and what? Nothing. He did absolutely nothing. His son raped his own daughter and did nothing. I couldn't even imagine anyone pushing Eliana over. I get angry at my dog for bumping into her. And he did nothing. Just a permissive father, king of Israel. And Amsalon never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad, but he hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. The very next verse, chapter 23, two years later. Two years. Nothing's happened. Amnon's walking around thinking, well, that's that. It's over. Didn't get in trouble. Didn't get caught. Or maybe everyone knew, but no one cares. It's just me. It's just Amnon, son of the king. I used her, got what I want, and I'm done. Two years later, Amnon's a fool. Not afraid of anything. Gets invited to a party by Absalom. Doesn't think anything's going to happen. He's had a sister crying for two years. He's had a brother stewing for two years. And he's had a protective, permissive father just letting it go by the wayside. If you're a permissive parent and you're not taking care of your kids and you're not telling them that, hey, it's not just about a slide. It's not just about the swing. That if I never say no to you, they're going to grow up thinking that they're God, like Isaac. If I never tell my daughter that, you know, if I never get to the point and realize that as you as a parent, she can't even understand it yet, but me as a parent, I've got it. And we all need to get it as a church. It's not just about the slide. It's about what I'm allowing my daughter to get away with because she's going to understand the boundaries that I've set upon her. And if there are no boundaries, then she's going to do whatever she wants. And Amnon has lived his entire life with a father who just let him do whatever he wants. And so if you as a parent don't uh, establish those boundaries and correct your kids, the world is not going to be as friendly about it. And Amnon is a fool because he's not afraid of anything. And you can read that in the story. We're not gonna go through the entire story today because I'm running out of time, but you can read through the story that he is not afraid. He's invited to a party and he, he goes, no questions asked. Two years later, I'm, I got invited to a, a party by the brother who, who I raped his sister. 
and doesn't think anything doesn't think anything of it. And if that doesn't speak to you, as in like uh, that guy's got a problem, he's been blinded by his own sin. And if it's called the rule of the harvest, guys, and teenagers understand this too. This is this. If you think you're getting away with something, so you keep doing it because no one knows, it's called the rule of the harvest. Havoc is coming. Just because you plant the seed on Tuesday doesn't mean that you should expect a full crop of corn on on, uh, Wednesday. Okay? The farmer knows that you plant in in the spring and you harvest in the fall. If you're planting destructive seeds right now, harvest is coming. And just because it doesn't happen the next day doesn't mean that the harvest isn't going to to come and the consequences of your actions won't come down on you and so Amnon's been getting away with this for two years thinking everything's fine he's like a he's like a scripture says a dog to his vomit returning to his vomit to eat it my dog Luke is so disgusting he will eat his food so fast that he'll walk into the hallway throw it up go and finish the bowl of fresh food turn around and then eat his vomit And if that doesn't bring scripture to life for you, you should see it because you realize that that is me. That's me. I keep going back to this crap that is destroying me from the inside out and it's going to come out and it's going to be harvested. You reap what you sow and Amnon hasn't figured it out and he doesn't figure it out. Above all things, I'm not afraid of spiders. I'm not afraid of snakes. I don't like poison ivy, but I'm still not afraid of it, okay? But above all things, you should be afraid of the consequences of your own actions. I'm gonna do a quick synopsis for you here of what's going on. Amnon's invited to a party. Absalom tells all of his friends. They all get around, and, Ab- and Absalom goes, all right, guys, listen. We're going to get him drunk. And when you see that he is drunk and that he can't walk straight and we all know that he's gone, kill him. Take him out. We don't want him here anymore. And if you look through the story, no one says no. They're all excited about it. We're going to, this guy's getting what's coming to him. And of the law of Moses, he should have got, he should have been killed. Okay? Two, two years. So he gets drunk. Absalom's friends, they go in and kill him. Not a single one of them says no to him. And not a single one of them says no to him because no one, no one says no to these kids. No one says no to David's kids their entire life. Not even David himself. So David, David goes off. What does David do? Verse 30, while they were on their way to report to David, Absalom was struck down. All the king's sons were dead. Not one of them was left. That was a lie. David heard it later that only, only Abnon was murdered and Abnon was dead. And he found out that Absalom did it. And, he, and the king stood up, tore his clothes, laid down on the ground, and all of his servants stood up or stood by with, uh, with him and tore their clothes. Period. David did nothing again. David did nothing again. Okay? Not, and his servants did nothing. You go down to verse 36. The king too and all of his attendants wept bitterly. Nothing. Verse, 30, verse 36, did nothing. Verse 37, David mourned many days for his son, still does nothing. Verse 38, after Absalom fled, he went uh, to Geshur, stayed there for three more years. King David longed to, to see Absalom, for he was consoled concerning Abnon. The word consoled is very tailing in this sentence. Ah, I lost one son. I can have more sons. I'm the king. David's over it. He just wants to hug. He wants to hug his other son and let him know it's okay. Now we're five years removed from Tamar being raped. And then, and then eventually David has 
uh, Absalom come back but doesn't see him face to face. You have to understand that Absalom is furious. David hasn't done anything for two years. Absalom threw the party. Then for three years he was gone out of town because of fear from his dad. He comes back two years. David still won't see him face to face. We're seven years removed from the rape of Tamar and David's done nothing. Raise your hand if you've ever been angry at your father in here. Me too. How many years have you let it stew? How many years have you just let that eat away at you? We're seven years away, we're seven years removed now from from Tamar. And it all starts with because David saw Bathsheba. And he handed that down to his son. All of his kids. That one sin ends up getting two two of his kids killed. And it, it eventually goes to the fracturing of the nation of Israel into two kingdoms because of the sins of Solomon. Your sins ripple past your sphere of influence and they can wreak havoc in a lot of lives. Absalom goes on, the story continues, Absalom goes on and raises an army and creates a civil war against his father because he has just got so much anger toward his dad. The permissive father who just never corrects anybody. And you have to understand, this is David the individual who wrote Psalm 51. Psalm 51 happened years ago in this story. So where is this guy? Where is this man who was so crippled? His, the actions of his sin with Bathsheba brought him to the end of himself, crippled on the floor. His, 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 child, di- his child dies from that story. And he writes Psalm 51. And then here we are in this story. What happens here? What, what's happened from Psalm 51 to Psalm 23? 51 to 23 is how I remember David. Psalm 23 happens at the end of David's life. It's one of the last psalms that he writes, and you can see that he's talking about dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And what I'm trying to, what I, I want you guys to think is if you've ever felt like a failure of a father, if your father ever failed you, some of the worst things as a, fa- as a kid is dealing with the consequences of a father who never said no to you. And so now my father never said no to me. I'm 30 years old. I'm happy I'm 30. I chose on my 30th birthday that there are some things I'm going to leave in my 20s and they're never coming back. As a parent, you, what's the number one thing you want from your kids? Be, right, you, tell them to do, you, you tell them to do something. Why? Because I said so. You just want them to obey you. I'm your family. I'm your father. I'm your mother. I love you. Obey me. That's all God wants from you. It's all he's asking is obey me. And Christ himself said it. Pick up your cross. If you found yourself, right, you're a living sacrifice. If you have found yourself wandering away from the altar, crawl back to the altar and willingly lay down because it's not about you. And as a father, and if you have kids and you're, and you're wondering where they're at or if you feel like you, or you're failing them, just remember that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, I've gone through and said why these dudes are like terrible fathers, which they were. If you, if you can do a deep study into like how they mess their kids up. But in Hebrews, these dudes are called the pillars of faith. They're in like the hall of fame of faith in the book of Hebrews. And I love the fact that God never, God changed Jacob's name to Israel, right? We learned that with Justin Tyler last week. Jacob's name is Israel. But in scripture, God always says, I'm the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God himself changed Jacob's name, but always called him Jacob. And I like to think that that's because God is reminding Jacob, remember, I loved you when you were a deceiver. I loved you when you were struggling. And if you feel like it's too late, Joe, how old are you? You're 69 years old. You look good, man. If you think it's too late, Joshua conquered 
the promised land at 80 years old. Joe, you think you can go, go into battle today and swing some swords and get after it? Oh yeah, I think you can too. <laughs> it's never too late, guys. If, if you feel like God can't use you because I've messed my life up so much, we just read a story of a guy who allowed his kids to kill each other and rape each other, and he was known as a man after God's own heart. God knew you when he put you inside your mother's womb. David writes the psalm, you knew me when you knitted me together in my mother's room. That means that before God said, let there be light, God knew he was going to create you. He hasn't put you in the wrong body. He hasn't put you in the wrong country. He hasn't put you in the wrong time frame in which you are living. He hasn't put you in the wrong family. He knows you. Before he said, let there be light, he knew, I'm going to create Angela. He knew you, and he knew, and he was going to do it. And he, God takes in the totality of his existence all at once. Let there be light. He knows when the millennial king, he's just, it's all him. He knows it. He knew everything that David was going to do from Bathsheba through what happened with his kids. And yet, he still chose to use David. David was his king. It's never too late. It's never too late to change your life. It's never too late to influence your kids. Love your family, but love God first and foremost because you are the spiritual leader of your home. And I encourage you today that if you're a father, set an example for your children today. Bring your kids forward and pray with them. Show them what it means to pray. Kids, come forward and pray for your father. Lift them up. Request that they become the, the leader of your home that they need to be. And I invite you to come forward today. If you found yourself wandering away from the altar, if you found yourself lay, having to just laying the cross down and walking away from it, come back. Come back to where you need to be because God would rather discipline, right? God loves you and you discipline your kids please understand that God would rather see you anywhere than not by his side, which means God would rather see you in a hospital bed. God would rather see you in bankruptcy. God would rather see you anywhere than stubbornly living your life apart from him when you know better. And if you're one of his kids, David 23, Psalm 23, David said, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And that word make is not a request. He'll force you to come to, your, to the end of yourself if he needs to. So why don't you come forward before he does that? Because David 51, God desires a broken and contrite heart.